Because if we wanna be a church where we see a harvest, God is calling us to sow seeds of repentance. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, my name's Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we can't wait. Make, uh, we can't. We can't talk, apparently, but we also can't wait uh, to meet you face-to-face sometime. Hey, before we jump into the sermon, I want to invite my friends Chuck and Kim Mustin to come up here and join me on stage. Uh, Some of you know Chuck and Kim. Many of you probably don't. Chuck has served here for the last five years on our staff as our executive director, which means he's basically been my boss. Um, And and he's he's kind of been over the whole ministerial staff and the operational side of things, making sure that everything's running behind the scenes. And Chuck is officially retired as of Friday. So, yeah. So, uh, so as, as his first act of retirement, he has to come up here and do this with me. He's really pumped about it, in case you can't tell. Um, Chuck came to us. He's had an illustrious background in education. He was a high school math teacher and football coach, principal of Mooresville High School. He was actually the Indiana State High School Principal of the Year one time. He's really good at his job. Yeah. The guy's no slouch, right? And, and he, he's been amazing. And um, for the last five years, he's served here as our executive director, started in 2017. Chuck and I actually started the same week here together, which is really fun. And one of the many reasons that I love Chuck and Kim is that they make me feel tall. Um, <laughs> there's not many people in the world who can do that, so I appreciate you. But uh, Kim is one of the most fun people that God ever made. And, you know, Chuck... Um, has served here in a really humble way in ways that most of you will not ever get to see. But over the last five years, we've been through a lot as a church, as you know, and Chuck has kind of been our constant through that. God is our rock, and then there's Chuck, too, as his servant here. And, uh, you know, we went through a lot of staff turnover over the last five years. We've been through a lot of directional change and turnover as a church. But through it all, Chuck was there. He was constant. He was helping us to stay faithful to who God has called us to be. COVID-19 hit, and certainly there were a lot of us who were involved in discussions and decisions, but at the end of the day, the buck stopped right there on that guy's desk. And he made a lot of tough calls and had a lot of difficult conversations, but through his leadership, we've come out on the other side healthy and stable by God's grace. Yes. And then for me personally, um, through this pastoral transition over the last year and a half or so, um, for both Steve and I, Steve, we're talking about you, and Steve and I were talking about you this morning, Chuck. Um, Chuck has just been our guy. He has just been the guy kind of standing there on the hill, helping to hold our arms up. He has been um, part of what has allowed this thing to go as smoothly as it has. And then for you all, where you're sitting right now for this building project, um, Chuck was the point man for this whole construction project, faced with the daunting task of how do we retool an aging facility so that we can use it for God's glory, so that generations yet to come can continue to learn how to follow Jesus in this place. So this beautiful room that we get to sit in and the financial health of our church, a lot of that is due to Chuck's leadership. He even, alongside Steve Larkin sitting over there, made this cross by hand that gets to lead us to the throne of God every day. Would you just join me in telling Chuck and Kim thank you? Now, they're, they're gonna be in the hub after the service and between all the services, so please swing by, tell them thank you, show your appreciation to them, and by God's grace, they're still gonna be a part of our church family, so it's gonna be awesome, yeah. Mm-hmm. And while you've got your hands all loosened up and, and we're thanking people, what'd you guys think about those youth leading in the praise band? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, one of the things we are passionate about is raising up the next generation of Jesus followers and helping young people to leverage their spiritual gifts for the good of the kingdom. We believe that they are indwelled with the Holy Spirit too, and they don't get a junior version of the Holy Spirit. They get the whole thing just like we do. And so we're excited to be led in worship by them. And you know, what we just experienced together this morning is a unique power that we have access to as Christians. It's called the power of exceeded expectations. The power of exceeded expectations. And here's what I mean by that. Um, There's a guy named Bob Welch who wrote a great book on fatherhood. And in this book, he tells a story about exceeded expectations. It's the story of a time when his son Jason was playing baseball in the Little League and Jason's character was tested. Bob Welch writes this. He says, my son Jason had always been the smallest player on the field. Check, we know what that feels like, don't we? Yeah. And last summer... His lack of height was all the more noticeable because he was a seventh grader playing in a seventh and eighth grade league. Well, in one particular game, a fire-armed pitcher, more than a foot taller than my four-foot, nine-inch son, blazed a fastball right down the pipe. I'm not sure Jason even saw the ball. Strike one. The second pitch scorched across the plate for a called strike two. The third pitch, unintentionally, I'm sure, came right at Jason. He turned to avoid being hit and fell to the ground. His bat went flying. His helmet bounced off. The ball seemed to have skimmed his shoulder. Take your base, said the umpire. Standing in the third base coach's box, I was happy just seeing Jason alive, much less getting a free base. But now there's my son, and and he's saying something to the umpire. What was going on? Jason said to the ump, it didn't hit me. Take your base, son, said the ump. Our fans were thinking the same thing that I was thinking. Take your base, son. You've been wounded, soldier. Your war's over. You're going home. (laughs) But Jason continued to plead with the umpire. Honest, he said, it didn't hit me. The umpire looked at Jason and then out to the other infield ump who just shrugged. Okay, said the ump. Counts one and two. I mean, should I intervene as a dad? Should should I make him take his base? But Jason was already digging his cleats into the batter's box. I mentally shrugged and headed back to the coach's box. The towering pitcher rocked and fired a bullet right down the middle, the kind of pitch that would normally send a kid to the dugout. But instead, my son Jason ripped the ball into left center field for a stand-up double. The crowd roared. The manager of the team in the field was standing a few feet behind me. He had no idea that the kid on second base was my son. He spit out his sunflower seeds and slowly shook his head. Man, he said, you gotta love that. This is the power of exceeded expectations, right? Like when you see a 40-year-old act with the wisdom and the maturity of a 40-year-old, that's great, but we also kind of expect it, right? Because like you've been walking with Jesus, you've been hanging around Jesus for a few years now, you should be that mature. But when we see a teenager leveraging their gifts and living with the fruit of the spirit and and a teenager acting with the wisdom and the maturity of a 40-something-year-old, we think, wow, where'd this kid come from? It's it's the power of exceeded expectations. And we're gonna talk about that, like Kyle said, as we're continuing to go through our series called Renewal. Because in this series, we're just telling some stories of what God has done to do great things through his people in the past. And we're using those stories as a springboard to dream about what God might wanna do in the here and now with us. And so for the next two weeks, we're just drilling down on one verse from the Bible where God says this to his people in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. This is our verse. God says, so, righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. 
For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So last week, you might remember that we, we asked God to, to take his plow and to, to break up the hard ground, to, to break up the unplowed ground in our hearts. And now, after God does that, after, after he takes his plow to the soil of our hearts, now today we're talking about sowing the right seeds. As Hosea would said, sowing seeds of righteousness. How do we sow the right seeds? And honestly, this is part of what we're passionate about as a church, and that's what we wanna do this week at VBS, is we wanna plant seeds of faith in the hearts of these young people. So just pause for a minute. Would you just join me, please, this week in praying for what happens here at VBS? Would you ask God to even exceed our expectations? As there are hundreds of kids and hundreds of adults here in this room learning about the love of God, would you pray that those seeds of faith would take root in their hearts, that they would grow up knowing that they're loved by their Father in heaven, that Jesus died for them and wants to make them new, and that he would raise up a generation of kingdom workers and disciples? Would you pray even that God would use those kids on their baseball fields and in their classrooms and their homes and their families to reach even their parents and their grandparents. Would you pray for God to exceed our expectations this week? Could you join me in that? Because if we want to be a church where we see a harvest like that, that exceeds our expectations, then after we let God plow up the unplowed ground of our hearts, we've got to plant three kinds of seed, three kinds of seed today. And the first one is this, God is calling us to sow seeds of repentance, sow seeds of repentance. Part of what we're doing here in this series as we say that we wanna see renewal is that means we're admitting that we know things need to change, right? That we're admitting that, that when we look at the fruit of our lives, we don't always like the harvest that we're getting. That we look around at the harvest that we are reaping in this country of sexual dysfunction and violence and we're saying we don't like that. And we're looking at the harvest we're reaping here in Hendricks County of shallow materialism and family dysfunction. And we're saying, we don't like that. And we're looking at the harvest we're reaping sometimes in our own lives or even in this church of shallowness and busyness and selfishness and, and prayerlessness. And we're saying, we don't like that. And so God is saying, well, if you wanna see a different harvest, you have to plant different seeds. Sow seeds of repentance. Now, repentance is just a big fancy Bible word. If you're not a church person, that's totally okay. You're welcome here, but we wanna explain these words to you. Repentance is a word in the Bible that just means changing your mind. It means turning around, doing something different, stopping doing the old, starting doing the new. It means allowing God to tear up the hard ground in your heart and plant a new seed in you. And to do that, then we wanna build a culture here where all of us are constantly asking the two fundamental questions of following Jesus. We make it really complicated. It's really as simple as asking these two questions every single day. Number one, God, what are you saying to me? And number two, what am I doing about it? What has God been saying to you and how are you going to obey him? Because God is always speaking. It's just a matter of whether or not we're listening. God speaks in three primary ways. He speaks through his Holy Spirit inside us. He speaks through his word given to us. He speaks through his people around us. So we wanna be people who listen and who respond in obedience. Every time that there has been a renewal movement throughout scripture and history, it starts with God's people listening to God's voice. God, what are you saying and how do you want me to obey you? And throughout scripture, when we see people asking those two questions, God always leads them to repentance, to, to changing. And repentance 
leads to renewal. Repentance leads to renewal. Let me just tell you one story from the Bible. Um, in the Old Testament, the nation of Judah had gotten really corrupt. Uh, they were worshiping idols. It was, it was wicked. There was injustice going on all around. Like Things were not going well in Judah. They had turned away from God. They'd forgotten God's law. They'd forgotten that they were supposed to be God's special people in a special relationship with him until 2 Chronicles chapter 34, an eight-year-old boy named Josiah becomes the king of Judah. He's eight years old. And take a look at what happens here in verse three. It says, in the eighth year of his reign, so do your math, eight plus eight, he's 16 years old right here. I don't know what you were like when you were 16, but this is not my story, okay? The power of exceeded expectations, right? Here's what it says Josiah did. It says, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Aren't you glad we have 16-year-olds seeking the Lord here? Yeah, I'm glad says in his 12th year, so do the math, now he's 20 years old. What was your college experience like? (laughs) It says, Josiah began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. He's sowing seeds of repentance. He's saying, God, I'm gonna listen to you, I'm gonna obey you, that stuff's not gonna fly around here. And so then later, at age 26, 26 years old, Josiah decides, hey, let's remodel the temple. Out of devotion to the Lord, it's kind of falling apart. They're remodeling the temple, and they discover the ancient scroll of God's law that had been lost. And Josiah, he reads this scroll, and he's brokenhearted because he realizes they have failed to follow God's law. They failed to live up to their part of their special relationship with him. And because he'd already sown seeds of repentance, because he'd already said, we're gonna be a place and a people that listen to God and respond in obedience, the whole place is broken. The whole nation is broken. Josiah is broken. He calls all of them together to pray and to weep together and to dedicate themselves again to being people who will hear and obey God. And here's what happens. Because they sowed those seeds of repentance, verse 33 says, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. You can put that on my tombstone, by the way, someday. I want that to be said about me. Because a little boy exceeded expectations. A little boy said, I'm gonna become a man who hears the voice of God and obeys. Repentance led to renewal. That's why a few hundred years later, when God is gonna prepare the way for his son Jesus to come, he sends a prophet named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, my job is to prepare the way for the renewal that Jesus brings. And how does John do that? He says, repent. John the Baptist's message to get people ready for Jesus is Matthew chapter three, verse eight. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Turn around, stop what you're doing, plant the right seeds. So that finally, when Jesus does come on the scene and he's bringing his kingdom, what is Jesus's message? Mark chapter one, Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Hear and obey, plant seeds of repentance. I, uh, <laughs> I know you guys are tired of hearing about my trip, but can I tell you one more picture? Can I show you one picture? This is another picture from Rome, okay? This is a picture from Rome. This is called the Scala Sancta. The holy stairs is what that means. Now, these stairs are in Rome today, but originally, this staircase was actually in Israel. These are the original first century steps that led up to the fortress of Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem. That means that these are likely the very steps that Jesus walked up and down several times on the day before he died. Pretty remarkable, right? Well, they kind of dug up the staircase, brought it to Rome, and now the Roman Catholic Church has a tradition that if you climb up all 28 of those steps on your knees, you climb up on your knees and you say the right prayer at every little step, then you'll get 10 or 15 years off your time in purgatory. It's not a joke, it's a real thing. 
And so this had been the tradition for over a thousand years in the Roman Catholic Church. And so about 500 years ago, there was a young monk who traveled to Rome to do this. He wanted to seek God. He wanted to be a good follower of Jesus. So he's gonna go climb up these steps. And so he goes to the holy stairs and he starts climbing up all 28 steps on his knees, trying to say the right prayer at the right time so that he can get on God's good side. And about halfway up the steps, he realizes, what is this? This is ridiculous. The Bible doesn't tell me to do this. This is hogwash. He was haunted by one verse of the Bible, Romans chapter one, verse 17, where God says through the apostle Paul, the righteous shall live by faith. And this young monk was a person who asked those two questions. God, what are you saying? And how do you want me to respond? So that verse comes to his mind. The righteous will live by faith. And he's only halfway up the steps, but he he finally gets up. He says, this is ridiculous. You don't have to climb a certain set of steps in a certain way to get to God. And he walks down the steps and he leaves. And that young monk's name was Martin Luther. And that kick-started the Protestant Reformation. And, and you may not know a bunch about the Protestant Reformation. You don't necessarily need to unless you're a geek. But just suffice to say, it's the greatest renewal movement in the history of the church. Because he said, I'm gonna sow seeds of repentance. God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do about it? And a few years after he walked down those sacred stairs, Martin Luther nailed what's called the 95 Theses to a door in Wittenberg, Germany. It was basically 95 things that he wanted to kind of point out about the church and how the corrupt church could get back to the teachings of the Bible. His goal wasn't to leave the church. His goal was to bring renewal to the church. And what was his message? Thesis number one. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In other words, we don't just repent on the day you decide to get baptized and give your life to Jesus. We repent every single day. Every day, Jesus wants us to wake up and say, God, what are you saying to me? And how do you want me to respond? This is the teaching that the Protestant Reformation was built on, that Martin Luther founded his life on as revealed in God's word. And so finally, it came to the point when the Catholic Church excommunicated him. And one time Martin Luther was standing on trial before some of the most powerful people of his day, and he was facing execution. They, they, they had the ability to kill him for what he believed, but they said, hey, just take it all back, just recant, just say that you were wrong and we'll forgive you and you can get on with your life. But here's what Martin Luther said. He stood before these men and he clung to his Bible and he said these words. He said, unless I'm convicted by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God, amen. He'd sowed seeds of repentance, and today, you and I get to eat the fruit of that renewal. Praise be to God, let it be said of us. Sow seeds of repentance. Here's the second thing God calls us to sow. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, Hosea says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Sow seeds of righteousness. Now, there's another big fancy church word. I think all that means is do the right thing where you are right now. Do the right thing where you are right now. In in your current circumstances, in your current job, with your current relationships, do the right thing where you are right now. Not where you, your, your, your mission in life doesn't start where you want to be. Your mission in life doesn't start where you wish you were. Your mission in life doesn't think, doesn't start where you, where you thought you could have been by now. Your mission in life starts where you are right now. Your current relationships, your current finances, your current situation, your current job, your current family, those are not obstacles to God's mission for you. Those are God's mission for you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. Sow seeds of righteousness. Do the right thing where you are right now. And this is true throughout all the Bible, too. Um, God says this through the prophet Hosea, right? He's the guy we're looking at. Um, I don't know if you know much about the prophet Hosea. He was a prophet, but he didn't actually get to do a lot of the cool and glamorous things that the other prophets got to do. Hosea didn't get to do a bunch of miracles. He didn't get to lead revival and renewal movements. He didn't get to call down fire from heaven. Hosea actually had a pretty tough task. God's primary calling to the prophet Hosea was to be a good husband to a difficult wife. Here's what God said to Hosea. Here's God's call, his mission for him. Hosea chapter one, verse two. says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to me. And sure enough, um, he does marry her and his wife is unfaithful to him over and over and over and over again. But God's call is still to keep loving her Hosea chapter three, verse one, God says, show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turned to other gods. Man, you wanna talk about the power of exceeded expectations, right? God says, Hosea, sow seeds of righteousness, do the right thing where you are right now, keep loving her, even though she doesn't love you back, and that's gonna show people what my heart is like. Do the right thing where you are right now. In the late 1930s, um, there was a man by the name of Dawson Trotman. Um, He worked at a gas station. He had a rough past, had a criminal record, but he became a follower of Jesus. He underwent this conversion, and he didn't know much about what it meant to follow Jesus, but he knew that he was supposed to share his story with other people. And so Dawson Trotman, later on in his life, he, he made this commitment. He said, I will not go to sleep at night unless I've shared Jesus with somebody that day. I'm not gonna go to bed until I've told somebody about what Jesus has done for me. That's a pretty radical commitment. Talk about sowing seeds of righteousness, right? And so one night, Dawson Trotman, it's late, and he goes to bed. He's laying his head on the pillow. He's kind of in that half-sleep state, you know, when the Holy Spirit whispers to him and says, you didn't tell him today. (laughs) you know. But okay, I'm gonna hear God and I'm gonna respond in obedience. And so, so he gets up and he says, all right, Lord, you're worth it. And he goes and he just starts wandering around on the streets in the middle of the night. He says, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm just being faithful to you. And, and lo and behold, as he's wandering the streets in the middle of the night, he runs into another guy who's also wandering the streets in the middle of the night. And Dawson Trotman says, um, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? What in the world are you doing out here? And the man said, well, I'm... I am just utterly miserable. My life is a disaster. My heart is a wreck. And I'm just out here wandering around late at night by myself asking the question, is there a God? (laughs) Sometimes the door is like so wide open, you just have to walk through, right? (laughs) The guy says, is there any meaning? Is there any purpose? And Dawson Trotman says, oh, I have good news for you. I was laying in bed, but Jesus compelled me to come talk to you. Let me tell you about him. I wonder how many people are wandering around out there waiting for us. Waiting for us to be people who will listen and say, okay, God, what are you responding to, saying to me and, and how do you want me to respond? I wonder how many people are out there just waiting for us to be people who are gonna do the right thing where we are right now, just waiting for us to harvest this plentiful Jesus says, but the workers are few. Earlier in Dawson Trotman's life, when he first became a Christian, he didn't know much. But, but he'd read this verse and he believed what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse two. 
where God says, or excuse me, where Paul says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, share the story of what Jesus has done for you, who are gonna share it with other people, who are gonna share it with other people, who are gonna share it with other people, this multiplication thing. And so Dawson Thomas says, okay, I can do that. And he's working at the gas station and he decides to just tell the story of what Jesus has done for him to these two young sailors who come to the gas station every now and then. And he says, well, you know, if you trust Jesus, he can save you like he saved me. And it happens. And then those two sailors tell two more sailors and the five of them start having this little Bible study right there in the gas station. And Dawson Trotman has the audacity to tell them that he thinks God's gonna use the five of them to change the world. That's a crazy thing to say at a gas station Bible study. But okay, and, and, and a while later, the four sailors come back and they have an idea. They said, Dawson, we're gonna donate part of our salary to you, to pay you to be able to quit your job and come on our boat and start leading Bible studies. The captain of the ship said, it's okay, would you join us? So Dawson Trotman quits his job, he says, okay, he starts leading Bible studies on this ship. They're stationed on the USS West Virginia and within six months of Dawson being on the boat, 100 people have given their lives to Jesus and twice that many are meeting regularly in Bible studies and they started calling themselves the Navigators. Some of you recognize that name. And they start having these Bible studies. And, and shortly after the Bible study got started, their ship, the USS West Virginia, was stationed at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And then the day comes, December 7th, 1941, the day that we'll live in infamy. You know the story, the Japanese attack. The West Virginia is sunk. Seems like a tragedy, and it was. But God worked through it, as he always does, because all of those soldiers there on the navigators got redeployed on other ships. And by the end of World War II, there were Navigator's Bible studies on 800 ships. Well, one of the young sailors who was baptized there during World War II was a guy by the name of Milton Bates. Milton Bates gave his life to Jesus there, led to God by a Navigator's Bible study, and he moved back to the Indianapolis area where he started a ministry called IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services. They're one of our global impact partners. Milton Bates' daughter goes to our church, Louise Furness. Pretty amazing. And that's just the beginning. Because those 800 ships with Bible studies on them, World War II ends, all those sailors come home and through the GI Bill, they all get to go to college for free. And so now all of a sudden, all across the country on college campuses and universities, there's Navigator Bible studies springing up. And they start organizations like InterVarsity and Campus Crusade that now operate all over the world, thousands of people, countless people, giving their lives to Jesus because one guy, Dawson Trotman, said, I'm gonna do the right thing where I am right now at the gas station. God, let it be said of us. And listen, maybe you're hearing these stories in this series thinking, well, that's great. But I can't lead a Bible study. I can't preach a sermon. I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. Do you believe that anything God has ever done at any time, he can do now? And that anything he's ever done anywhere, he can do here? And that anything he's ever done for anyone, he can do for us? Remember the story of my friend Kevin, right? It just takes a stick of gum and a prayer. <laughs> you can do this. Would you sow seeds of joy even when your coworkers are complaining? Would you sow seeds of gratitude and contentment even when it feels like you're spending your days changing diapers and doing laundry and washing dishes? Would you sow seeds of truth when your friend is going through a hard time and asks you to tell your story and you see an opening? Would you sow seeds of, of servant-hearted love even when your spouse doesn't deserve it? Would you sow seeds of righteousness, do the right thing where you are right now and watch what God will do? 
sow seeds of righteousness. Here's the last thing. Here's the third kind of seed I believe God's calling us to sow. Sow seeds of resistance. Repentance, righteousness, and resistance. And here's what I mean by that. I mean pray. Pray, pray, pray. The sermon's pretty simple. If you walk out remembering one thing, pray, 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 pray. Can you remember that? Okay, good. And here's why. Because Satan hates praying churches. And we have an enemy who hates what's going on here and wants to drag our community into the darkness and we're gonna pray. Because the greatest obstacle to renewal is not the wickedness of the world. It's the prayerlessness of the church. So we're gonna sow seeds of resistance. I'm reminded of so many stories in scripture where God's people prayed and God moved. I remember Moses standing before the Israelites at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies thundering down upon them. And Moses stands up and he says in Exodus chapter 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And God parts the waters. I'm reminded of the story of King Jehoshaphat, that God's people are under attack. And, and Jehoshaphat, he, he calls all the people together to pray. And he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he says, oh God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And God delivers the people. And I'm reminded of King Hezekiah that when the Assyrian Empire comes and they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, a vastly superior military force, and Hezekiah, they're sunk. They can't fight this army. And and the leader of the Assyrian army sends a letter to King Hezekiah mocking the God of Israel. And what does Hezekiah do? 2 Kings chapter 19 says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. He said, here you go, God. We don't know how to handle this, but we believe you can. Then he prayed, verse 19, Hezekiah prayed, now Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And that night, the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers to rescue God's people. Sow seeds of resistance. Pray, pray, pray. Now this is a picture of a guy named John Patton. John Patton was a a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He left a good paying job at a good ministry to go to to the New Hebrides. And the things was that the, the tribes who lived in the New Hebrides Islands, they were cannibals and they had actually eaten both of the previous missionaries who tried to take the good news of Jesus to their land. And John Patton knew that. But he decided to go anyway because he, he listened to God. He heard God call him and he said, okay, I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna go sow seeds of repentance and righteousness and resistance. I'm gonna break up the unplowed ground because I believe that God's bring, gonna bring a harvest if I don't give up. And the people around him in his life, they said, John, what in the world are you doing? Why would you do this? And in fact, one specific man, he, he asked John Patton, he said, how dare you take your wife to a faraway land where you're gonna be killed and nothing's gonna happen? Why would you do this? You're gonna be eaten by cannibals. And John Patton replied, these are his words, I love it. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. (laughs) That's a nice way to say it. He said, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. (laughs) And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen redeemer. (laughs) Drop the mic. You want to talk about exceeded expectations. And so John Patton went to the New Hebrides Islands and he built orphanages and and he started caring for people and he learned the language and he started sharing the good news of Jesus with these people. And he and his wife had a baby there on the island. But later, even when his wife and his little baby both died, John Patton still didn't give up. 
He didn't leave, he kept going, even when he had to sleep on their grave at night to keep the cannibals away. He kept sowing seeds of resistance. He just kept praying because as a little boy, John Patton's father had told him to pray. Every day, John Patton's father would gather the children around and say, children, we're gonna pray. And they just pray together as a family. And he hardwired it into their DNA that when life happens to you, we hit our knees. We go to God in prayer. The fight is his. And so time and time again, I don't have time today, but go read John Patton's story. You can read it time and time again in one amazing encounter after another. When these tribesmen come to attack him, John Patton just prayed and God spared his life. And you can go read it. When John Patton came to those islands, none of them had heard the good news of Jesus. And by the time he died, still there, all of them had heard. And to this day, 85% of the people who live in the New Hebrides identify as followers of Jesus. Praise God. Later on in his life, one of the local tribesmen, a, a chief, he came up to John Patton and he said, who was that army? that gathered around your hut? Who, who were those soldiers that stood around your hut protecting you at night from us when we came to get you? And John Patton said, that was my time in prayer. Sow seeds of resistance. And I believe God will exceed our expectations because you know what the world expects? The world expects the deterioration of the American church. The world expects people who live with biblical morality to be oppressive and antiquated. The world expects God's people to be distracted and divided and irrelevant. And I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to be content about that. I'm not gonna spend our lives just managing the decline of the Western church because I believe that God has something in better, better in store right here with us. And so I wanna pray. I wanna sow seeds of resistance. I wanna unleash the power of God on this community in a way that will exceed their expectations to such a degree that they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's a God in heaven and that his son Jesus is alive. You wanna know how it's gonna happen? Not through a really cool, well-structured plan. James chapter four, verse two says, you have not because you ask not. You don't have because you don't ask God. So we're gonna ask God forever and we're gonna keep asking and keep asking until he does it. We've said that the common element for every renewal movement in history is that God comes where he's wanted. So we're gonna want God together. We're gonna ask God together. We're gonna pray. You remember Martin Luther, that monk who came down off the stairs? He said that prayer is catching God in his words. I like that. You guys, kids do that, right? Like, dad, come on, dad, you said. Are my kids the only ones that do that? You all have perfect children? Okay. That's what we're doing when we pray. We're catching God in his words. We're saying, Father, you said. You said that you could do more than we could ask or imagine. And Father, you said that you want the world to know you. And Father, you said that you would never leave us or forsake us. And Father, you said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And Father, you said that you would give us your peace and your power and your love. Father, you said it. You wrote that check, so we're cashing it in. And we're gonna sow these seeds. We're gonna become people of prayer. We're gonna become people who say, God, what are you saying to me? And how do you want, want me to respond? We're gonna become people of repentance and resistance and righteousness, doing the right thing where we are right now. And I believe that as we break up the hard ground and plant the right seeds, God's gonna reap a harvest if we don't give up. Amen. Have you heard of the Chinese bamboo tree? <laughs> Let me tell you if you haven't. Um, when you plant a bamboo tree in the ground, the seed just lies there dormant in the soil for a long time. Imagine 
Imagine there's a rice farmer in China who decides to quit his career as a rice farmer. He wants to become a bamboo farmer instead. And so he plants some bamboo seed. And he waits like farmers do. He waits a week, two weeks, a month. A year goes by, still nothing's happening. The neighbors, they're starting to chatter, saying, well, why'd he quit his career? I mean, he had a good thing going with the rice. Why'd he decide to get into the bamboo? What's going on? Two years goes by. Even his wife is starting to wonder at this point. And he's like, honey, come on, trust me. You know? Three years go by, four. Still nothing happens. I don't know what season of life you're in right now. Maybe you're feeling stuck. Maybe you're feeling like you're not going anywhere. Maybe you've been trying to change, but you don't feel like you can change. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long, long time, and it just doesn't look like anything's happening. But if we're gonna be people who sow seeds of resistance, people devoted to prayer, it's gonna start right here. So in a few moments, the prayer team's gonna be gathering around the edges of the room and in the back of the room. If there's anything that you need to talk about or pray about or bring to the Lord in prayer, would you please go see them throughout the rest of the service or after the service? Would you, would you pray with them? If you just wanna pray for somebody in your life or in our church or in our community, if you need to surrender to Jesus and to ask him to do something new in you, if you hear him, please respond in obedience. We'd love to pray with you. Because maybe God's not doing nothing. Maybe if you keep persisting even in the silence, maybe you're just in year three or four. Because when year five comes, that seed that is laying there dormant in the ground, it begins to sprout. And it grows 90 feet in the first six weeks. (laughs) I think that's us, church. So let's keep planting seeds and see what God will do. Would you join me in prayer? King Jesus, you are so strong and you are so good. You're the potter, we're the clay, Lord, so we just wanna be soft clay in your hands. We wanna have soft hearts. We wanna, we wanna allow you to plow up the hard ground, Lord. So for my brothers and sisters in this room, I'm asking just that you'd speak to them clearly, whatever it is that you're calling them to. If it's a person in their life that you want them to love or share you with, if, if it's somebody they need to forgive, if it's a sin that they need to bring into the light, if it's just discouragement and you wanna remind them that you love them, or if there's somebody here in the room, Father, who's not surrendered to you but they need to, would you give them the courage to respond in obedience when you speak? And Father, would you help all of us to do the right thing where we are right now? Would you show us what our mission is, who you want us to love in your name? And we're gonna keep praying, Lord. We're gonna keep asking because we believe in you, we believe in your power, we believe in what you want to do here. So do it now. Do it again. Do it here. Do it with us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said. Amen, amen. Let's stand and worship our King.